Hello, everyone. Welcome to What is Covenant? Specialized Pastoral Care Services, Christian Counseling Ministry with Dr. Michael David Clay. A wise person once said, (laughs) the more you lie, the bigger the liar you become. It sounds wise, doesn't it? It sounds like one of those, what is it? Sage, one of those things a sage might say, one of those things that might, it could end up in Proverbs. Um, It's not. (laughs) But I think it holds that degree of weight. But in simplicity, if you lie a lot, you are a liar. And if you lie a lot, the more you're prone to lying. Why? Uh, you get away with it, maybe. Um, when my son was very young, not so young, but young enough, comparative to where he is today, uh, he wouldn't lie a lot. <laughs> but I'm sure he got away with a few things. And even so today, as an adult, I don't know that he lies, but he probably withholds certain pieces of data or information that he may not at any particular moment care to have scrutinized, certainly by me. I don't know that I'm all that critical of him or all that judgmental, but I sort of take that as a nod that he still holds me to some extent in high esteem or high regard. And I tried to do that humbly, uh, but as a parent, you want your kids, your children, to sort of still be a little bit afraid, certainly of doing such things as lying to you. We don't want their fear to get in the way of them being truthful or honest about something, Uh, and I suppose withholding data is probably a lesser of all of that potential (laughs) to be such the liar, but boldly come into the throne, (laughs) not expecting criticism as with condemnation, but there will always be a bit of critical dimension or element, but it's with grace and mercy. Hebrews 4, we have an advocate with the Father. (laughs) No, it's not my wife. Uh, My son and I have negotiated that, but I know in Jesus Christ We do have an advocate with the Father. And in that same sort of a way, God has given us his spirit that lives within us. And we can't lie (laughs) to ourselves any more than we should be lying to God. Because lying to yourself as with the Holy Spirit, as with then whatever dimension of conscience that might represent... That's probably not a good thing. We need to have that kind of a relationship where, yes, we're respectful. Yes, we expect a bit of criticism, but not condemnation. And when we boldly come into the throne because we know we have the promise of God in Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit, by the time we get to God, we've already repented. Penitence. I uh, was reading an article (laughs) yesterday talking about penitentiary, and that really came from a Quaker concept. (laughs) I don't know. We call them prisons now. I think there's some that are still called penitentiaries. But it's a Quaker concept. You put a person in (laughs) jail, (laughs) in a prison cell, so that they have some time to think about what they've done, and hopefully repent. And if they're penitent, if they repent, then we can restore them. Unfortunately, what we have found is that is not enough because sometimes by the time or by that point that a person ends up doing such the things that they would end up in penitentiary, prison, jail, they've already seared their conscience. And what is that? 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, which I do believe we are in, 
Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. This sounds painful, doesn't it? Seared hot iron hell? Fire? At least the hot part. Uh, I, I don't know that necessarily that cause effect is directly there. I, I hope that no one knows hell. Period. But should there be, and I believe there is, a place materially, some physical dimension of hell, literally so, uh, I wouldn't want that for anyone. (laughs) I wouldn't want anyone to go there. I wouldn't want anybody to experience anything like that that otherwise would bring them to such the end destination of hell. But definitely lying probably has some dimension of whatever the dynamic would be, some aspect of or dimension in the dynamic that leads one to a condition of not only (laughs) searing your conscience, a.k.a. also known as King James, apostasy, biblically so, as with the word of God, And in that, then, grievous of the Holy Spirit, the hardening of the heart to the point that your conscience becomes seared. Now, what does it take? Certainly, in innocence of childhood, most of us don't endure or have to endure or go through anything along that line to that extent or degree that it would sear our conscience. Most of us, though not entirely enough, are brought up in the way of the Lord. More so, I think, as with latter-day connotation and reference, conscience seared because we don't go to church like we used to. We don't rever or revere the Bible, the Word of God, God Himself like we used to. As much as He's given us His Spirit, it's all part of the lying, (laughs) deceiving, deceptive dynamic (laughs) of the devil, Satan, Lucifer. And with (laughs) doctrines of demons, or doctrines, yes, doctrines of demons is plural. And so there is not just one, there is a multitude, but in that same manner, they bleed into one. And as much that is not good, that is bad. And though we still have chance while we're living and breathing and alive, To avert that end of hell, a lot of hell comes to us. (laughs) People do things. They lie to us. They cheat us. They steal from us. It's all a work of the devil. He is still in composite, all bleeding into one. He is still quite active. At least the demonic spirit is quite active. His, again, composite is still quite active in material dimension. And it's a chore and a challenge. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God because it all comes back to, though the Holy Spirit has been already given unto us, His, 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 his voice has been muted. By what? By the pain and the disappointments and the losses. The promises broken. The covenants made and broken. We all are born to love. I do believe that. Even in material manifestation. But how quickly and how soon is that love challenged by disappointments, failed expectations? I love you. 
I'll never abandon you. I'll never hurt you. I'll never leave you. Now, if it were truly as God would say all of those things in his covenant or promise to us, as with once more word delivered, then express a living word fulfilled. If we do raise up our children in the way of the Lord, we're going to say the same things. But I'm not God, which doesn't cut me slack. It's just the confession, my penitent nature. I have to, and that may be as much a conscious, not conscience, a conscious requirement. I have to admit I am by nature, carnal, a liar, a cheat, and a thief. And in that way, the devil has plenty to work with. Yes, there's innocence. Yes, I'm covered by innocence until the age of accountability. But when that comes, my conscious choice must be to recognize if I have any conscience left in me. Holy Spirit, he is. He's in us all. But he's pleading, not only with God to spare me, uh, not to forsake me, not to abandon me, to remind me, but he's pleading with me to cooperate to admit my faults and my errors, to be disclosing so that I don't corrupt the world with all of that corruption that could and is, could be of preeminence, could take a place of preeminence in my life, could predominate over the living word of God in me. As with Holy Spirit, as with Jesus Christ, who speaks same words, same language as the Holy Spirit. And what is the fruit of the Spirit but love? Should all of those things that go with the perils of mortality, immortal life, the same stuff that tripped up Adam and Eve, Eve first, I should say, in the garden that took them out of the garden and really the leafy vine, the Jonah vine, the plant that otherwise protected him and them from the searing heat. Here's that hot iron of the sun was taken from them. Is that hell? No, but that's how close we are to hell. Why would we want to create hell on earth? There is a demonic spirit, a spirit of hell, I guess, of the devil, the lying, cheating, and stealing, the kill, the the murderous spirit, kill, steal, and destroy. But why would we want to partake of that? I wish no one would have to, but it's true. E, he, It, he, is still quite active in this world. Jesus has the victory. But we have to, at that age of accountability, make the choice. And what is the choice? You have to do something with Jesus. You have to do something with Jesus. You can't avoid doing something with Jesus. And what is that something? You either follow him or you reject him. If you follow him, then you give permission in conscious dimension to allow the Holy Spirit reign over your life and to speak to you. If you choose not to, then there will always be some residual, I believe, until the day of your death. You will always have a chance. Even if you're on in the penitentiary, even if you're on death row, even if you're facing then your execution, you have a chance. You could be in the chair and repent. Should we put people in that situation? I don't think so. I don't know. I understand why. I can see where it comes from. But 
prison doesn't seem to work. Penitentiaries don't seem to work. Not only because by the time people jails get there, they've already suffered enough to the point where they now have no active voice that they're listening to. He's active in them, but they're just ignoring. They're, they're hardening their heart. They're, they're muting him. They're lying again to themselves, which makes them liars <laughs> to everyone else. Because we can't call God a liar. <laughs> it's the hypocrisy dimension of the passage I read a moment ago. They pretend to be something they're not. But I do believe, though, the Holy Spirit does not stop working toward that end until we expire. Should it be because of criminal acts, heinous acts, murder, usually is most countries, at least in the United States, that is the essential dimension of the death penalty, is eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You've had to have killed somebody else. Old Testament, that was essential. And pretty much everything else is forgivable. <laughs> but at the same time, I think it's best if we allow God to do that work. But it won't happen except somebody preached the word. And remind this. Somebody continue to, even should the conscience be a bit seared consciously, speak of the good, speak of the higher, speak of the godly, speak of the divine, articulate the word as would then be inspired always of the Holy Spirit to the end. <laughs> Whatever ability we might have to live that in some concerted way with others, we can sanctify a lot of folks, even if they've not made a personal choice unto Jesus, simply because we still are a Christian nation. It's still a Christian culture. We are still of the body of Christ as with manifestation, two or more, gathered together in Jesus' name, is that principle of multiplication, synergistic, symbiotic even. The idea that we are adopted into the body of Christ and there is a physical manifestation of him in the world because of that. And we can cover a lot of souls, even the lost. And as the Apostle Paul speaks to, I think it's 2 Corinthians and maybe 1st, it's okay if an unbeliever would want to abide with you. I don't think it's okay that we settle for unbelievers and we should do everything that the Holy Spirit, as he would give us unction, which is constantly to love on them, <laughs> Hopefully, that will then persuade them. Almost persuaded King Agrippa. But if we don't do that, if we don't hold that, then a little leaven doth leaven the whole loaf. So, we could let it all go to hell <laughs> on our watch. Uh, watchmen on the, in the tower on the tower the wall, we could let it all go to hell. We could even allow the insidious element of the carnal nature, insidious, it's in us, to, in material dimension, this human soul, to chip away, to wash away, so to speak, or to erode, that's the word. What innocence, or in that innocence, what covering we have to the point where we do fail to even consider penitence or impenitence, consider our actions and choices by what standard the Word of God. Why? Because though it may still be preached, it should be preached. But we can't preach it with hypocrisy either. We have to live it. But in the latter times, as this passage is capturing, it will happen. 
speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith or the courage that it takes to continue to speak the word even when it's not popular in season but also out of season when you're in good company and I suppose bad company. Giving heed to seducing spirits. And what's the seduction? I think it all has to do with belief. Somewhere you stop believing. Your conscious mind, with all of the accumulation of those things that are contributory to your eventual demise over the course of your life, If you don't purge those on a routine basis, if you're not sanctified by the word routinely, if you don't die, that part of you, every day, it accumulates in Christ. You will not experience the resurrection power now or in the hereafter. Because in that same way, the fatality of that is your body will die. Your human soul must then be given to Jesus or it too if it remains preeminent, predominant in carnality. And with those motives, though you still may be high-minded, high-minded and noble in aspiration, you may still go around preaching the word of God, but you're not living it because you're living in hypocrisy. The devil, the lying, the cheating, the stealing, the killing, stealing, kill, steal, and destroying the destruction. It starts with your conscience. You kill your conscience. You kill Christ. Because you kill your conscience. He has no place to dwell in you. Does your conscience save you? No. But lack of a conscience will kill you. You don't create or allow there to remain space in you for Jesus. It's all overshadowed by, oh, well, I know though, all of that's just a lie. They told me they loved me. They told me they never would forsake me or abandon me. They told me that they'd always be there for me. They promised me they'd always be beside me. They promised me that they were my person. They would never die as a child. What do you know about death until you get to the age of accountability? But when you all of a sudden realize that people, should they even have done a good job? Raising you up in the way of the Lord. Should they have been as all would be then complete in Christ. Completed or perfected by Christ. They were a true believer and acted upon it. They're still going to die. And you have to come to terms with that. Then you go out and you try to find people I suppose. That are more along the lines of your age and your cohort. And they're going to be with you longer. But friends die. Things happen. Accidents happen. People are diseased. There's still disease in this world. People die prematurely (laughs) beyond execution and death row. People kill people. People do that in the name of righteousness and justice. They're right now at this particular moment of this podcast. There's wars going on all over. And there's a lot of people dying. It could be the latter times. But we can't fall into a place of apostasy or have our conscience seared simply because, well, where's Jesus? Oh, well, I thought the world was, but it's really not. So just let me take care of me and my own. I don't even put my own first. Just me and mine. Tribes, tribalism. And I've got nothing negative to say about identity. There's nothing wrong with belonging to a family. Nothing. A denomination. A nation. A culture. Nothing. Except we know that that is not the immutable element 
in eternal terms of life. Those things will change. Life won't end with the ending of us. It's not going to happen. God is bigger than any of us. Even as we might build the Tower of Babel in that symbiotic, synergistic sort of way of two or more gathered together, even should it be with aspirational intent, your flesh will not escape this life alive. That is the premise of the evangelistic message of all true evangelists. That's the reason you need Jesus. We can't get lost in all the higher ordered thinking, so much so that we're seduced in thinking that there's any way out of that. Uh, Some of you who really do pay attention to the podcast may actually be a little bit frustrated with me because I keep coming back to that premise. But you have to start there because if you don't, then we're already in the weeds. (laughs) Seducing spirits. Are they going to immediately kill you? I don't know. I suppose it could happen. Why do I say that? Because I'm going to go to another passage. This one would be in the book of Acts. And this starts, this is chapter 5 and starts also with verse 1. But a certain man, man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. And kept back part of the price, his wife also knowing of it, conscious. And consciousness. And brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and died. And great fear came on all of them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wrapped him up, I suppose burial cloths, or cloth, and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered her, tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, how is it? That ye have agreed together to test the Spirit of God. It could be also tempt the Spirit of the Lord. Behold, the feet of them who have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down immediately at his feet and died. And the young men that came in, And found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And rightly so. And great fear, and rightly so, came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. You could just drop dead immediately. You might as well. (laughs) Because that's the road to perdition. That always leads to the element of the son of perdition. That always then leads to the Antichrist. That always then leads to the eventual destination of hell. Is it hell? Not immediately, but you might say it is. It's that sage thing. Lying kills the conscience. But the conscience killed will kill you. You can crucify Christ as he would want to dwell in your conscience. Whether he is your conscience, I don't know. Conscience is sort of one of those humanistic concepts. It kind of goes then, generally speaking, for me in the category of psychology and all my psychological training and study. But I don't know that that is anything but the blind trying to identify an obvious fact that God is already in us. 
The word of God says the Holy Spirit has been given. The Holy Spirit is grieved. The attempt to kill the Holy Spirit is really the crucifixion of Christ. We did that outwardly. That literally happened. All the word of God is literal. That's a pause so that you can make sure you hear me. The entire word of God is factual and literal. There is, however, also spiritual dimension. And we can probably speak to that in those conscience sort of terms, consciously. Because even for the lost, they have to acknowledge that every knee will bow. It's just not every knee will accept Jesus in bowing. But in the end, if you crucify the conscience, you create a killer, a sociopath, one who lies, cheats, and steals. How does it start? It starts with really being born. But if you've made the declaration, as Ananias and Sapphira had, oh, we believe we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We've accepted the body of Christ, the manifestation. We're not only covered as unbelievers, now we're contributing members as believers. It's not. It is literal. (laughs) They kept back monies that otherwise the others seemingly that were at this particular moment in the life of the New Testament church were freely giving all material wealth, all material possessions to that end. I don't know that that is always the requirement. The rich young ruler, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, follow after me. In the end, you're going to do that. I just don't know that that has to happen now. It might be. There's a lot of people who possess things that are Christians that aren't immediately dead. I don't know what their judgment will be. But I do know this for a fact. Whether you have to sell everything you have and follow after Jesus, whether Ananias and Sapphira in this literal sort of factual context of the material world actually perished, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It is kind of Old Testament, right? It may be for that, but the one thing that I am confident of as well, this was the first of many steps that led to apostasy that then brought about a certain dimension of hell, would have had they lived that long, but brings about a certain dimension of hell as you progress down, continue that journey down the road to perdition, falling away, apostasy. Searing your conscience as with a hot iron. You've done it to yourself. You do that in material context. <laughs> as I said, uh, verse 11, chapter 5, the book of Acts. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. <laughs> it should have. It should have maybe simply because they saw two people who even in material terms, lied. Lied to others. Obviously, lied to themselves unless they were just all along planning on withholding. That should scare you. (laughs) Just next time you choose to not obey the Lord, you lie, you cheat, you steal, you raise up arms against your neighbor. We've been talking about that too. Some of you probably are tired of that message. But I think this is one of those critical defining moments. Should you be attacked if you attack in similar manner, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, what moral high ground even, even if it's just humanistically, do you have? You're just as guilty as them. I don't know that that is wrong. Righteous indignation is indeed, I believe, a legitimate, valid premise. Not only concept, there's a premise of life. God operates that way. 
He's explained it in word and human terms, but we don't understand the entirety of it. That's why I said earlier we probably should leave such things up to God. In the end, all things will be subject to the white throne judgment of God and more than things, all souls. It's just what you do with Jesus. But do it now rather than later. But if you do it now, you've got to turn the other cheek. You can't fight back and kill somebody. You can't. You can. I do believe there's grace and mercy and forgiveness for that. But we should just at least acknowledge, as with bringing up a child in the way of the Lord, as I said that earlier about raising my son, and you raising your sons and daughters, But if we go around saying, well, you really shouldn't kill people, and then we turn around and kill people, what do we expect? What are they going to say to us? Oh, well, you're just a hypocrite, aren't you? It's always under your terms. But let us fight back. Let us do it. Oh, you know, the oppression. You're the man, as we (laughs) say that. That dates me terribly. But the man is always out to get you. Um. They're going to look at it that way. You're not going to win souls that way. You're not. It's just not going to happen. God could still use you, (laughs) thankfully. They won't base God on what they see in you. And as you're penitent and you repent, hopefully you're not in jail. Then you'll have plenty of time to think about that. That's sort of like going to hell because you're seeing the white throne judgment as it is then. You're being subject to it as it's sort of in a preeminent sort of way. (laughs) Already having his work. God having his work. But he does that now so that we don't have to face it then. He does that now so we might repent and turn our life around and not take other people down. With that same doctrine, the bad doctrine, the hellish doctrine, departure from faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. That's exactly what that is. It's that insidious, though. And I think that's really then the most important aspect of this. If you do that, you crucify Christ. But you crucify Christ, you're crucifying your conscience. He has no place to dwell in you. The very thing of Christ that God has already forgiven to you, before you're even aware you need it, in the garden there is a tree of life. It's already there. The conscience is already there. The Holy Spirit in conscience. Conscience for those lost people translate is already there. But boy, when the devil comes, the fruit of knowledge of good and evil, Adam and Eve in the garden and all heretofore that has followed after are subject to that. It's going to be tested. You're going to be tempted. Seducing spirits. Why do I want to believe in that stuff? That's fairy tale stuff. It's not real. And you can say, well, that's just sort of marginal and it's not really all that bad. And yeah, maybe that's part of unbelievers remaining with believers and that we can sanctify them. But there'll come a day when you will go way beyond my abilities or even God's abilities to use me in material dimension to sanctify you. And when you kill me, when you kill the body, when you kill the church... When you remove the church from this world, the book of Revelation, when you are in the latter days and the church is removed from this world, you're going to see the hell that's really there. But you will have created it. You will get your antichrist. You will get the thing that you've wanted all along. Are we in the end times? I don't know. I'd like to say with confidence one way or the other. I believe Jesus has not come again. (laughs) So that may speak to whether or not it is entirely finished. It was finished on the cross. That's what we're saying. But he'll come again. But when he does, the church will be removed. But I think the United States is going through that now. 
the son of perdition is on the throne. The devil has taken the Antichrist, has sat on the seat that was reserved for Moses. He has eradicated, removed all the law that otherwise the Old Testament represents that were, would, would be, that was, the logistics to really then bring our flesh into alignment. Why? Because somebody cared to preach it. Somebody cared to speak it. Somebody cared to keep it alive in conscious terms so that we might then recognize our sin nature and the hell that might be going on around us and the consequences of our poor choices and how that lying, cheating, stealing spirit is so seductive that we don't even at times recognize it's happening until afterwards. And then we have a choice even then to repent or be penitent. But this is what it's going to look like when you remove the word of God, Old Testament, out of the world. You're removing the church. It is a two-edged sword. It's not just one side. They're going to preach unity, grace, mercy. And there's a large movement, a great movement of grace doctrine in the body of Christ right now. Oh, let's just dispose with all that legalism of the Old Testament. Let's just throw that out. Let's just live in this peace of forgiveness. No, they won't let you. (laughs) Because though their conscience is seared, the truly says empathic, and even then they're going to kill you anyhow because it's kill or be killed. By that point, by that time, they have no remorse. They have no standard. There's nothing calling them to some degree of conviction. They have no empathy. They have no perspective except their own. And they're a murderous lot. They crucified Christ. They're going to try to crucify the church. And until Jesus comes again and removes the church... So they may destroy themselves. Those of us who are still prophetically speaking the word or in word are capable of capturing and channeling that prophetic word as with application, directing it. That's all I mean by channeling it. Toward current day circumstances. Those of us who still have the Holy Spirit alive in us, we're going to be as Christ crucified. It's going to happen. They're not going to stop and let us live because in the same way, we then are the testimony against them. They know at least that much. They might lie. They might cheat. They might steal. Their conscience may be totally seared. But all knee will one day bow to Jesus and the white throne judgment of God. And God will then fix all of this in the best way that it could be. I can only say that acknowledging once again in my human best of human understandings. God will make it right. We must as believers allow that to happen. But we should rejoice in that. And I think Ananias and Sapphira are in more immediate proximity. Proximally, proximally, that's a word, in proximity to actually the apostasy. They immediately died. They did that. That happened so that I believe God could demonstrate, not just simply, well, you lied and you promised us this money and now you're withholding it. No, their conscience immediately was seared with what kind of iron? A hot iron. It's fight or flight at that level, folks. It is survival of the fittest. But rather than putting the disciples, the apostles in this New Testament church where they were just starting to finally get something put together where they could help one another create that sort of culture that until this very day, We've been able to, all the world has been blessed by the name of Jesus, the Hebrew people, the Christian people, the New Testament church, Jesus Christ. 
as within the delaying of the ultimate end of all human destruction. We've, a lot of people have been saved. We've covered a lot of people, but we're getting to the place where the church is being removed. But it's all part of the Bible. We just need to hang together as believers until the end. And we should count a joy if they do that. Apostle Paul. I'm not saying that we should be happy about dying necessarily, but I am saying we should be happy about dying. Because you're going to die anyhow. Just don't kill your conscience. Don't crucify Christ. And while we're still here, why would God want to deny us the best that we could have? But it's contingent upon us not losing confidence in Christ or the promise of God. It's, it's not like our parents. Our parents are human. They're going to fail us. I am sorry all those individuals that are younger than those individuals that are older. I only say that because I may be speaking to multiple generations here. I'm sorry I could not save you. I'm sorry that I could not make your world heaven. I am sorry that there's still the element of the devil and Satan and the evil spirit. (laughs) Again, Doctrines of demons seducing spirits. I'm sorry that 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 is your inheritance. I didn't create that. I can only tell you that's not a condemnation. That is just the way the material world operates. But God never intended your body to live forever. He intended your soul. But he didn't even intend your human soul in human dimension to live forever. I'm sorry. I can't save you from that. But I don't want to. I want Jesus to. And the way Jesus does that is you become one with him. Not only synergism between you and me. Believing in the same thing, left to our own mortality, and without Christ, then a state of preaching to itching ears, and noble aspirations, and hypocrisies, and just narcissistically, so look at us. We're so fabulous. We, we're spotless without blemish. No, we're ugly. We're whitewashed sepulchers. Were it not for the grace of God and the mercy of God in Jesus Christ, the grace doctrine is only failed if it's one side of the two-edged sword. Piercing, dividing asunder, a soul and spirit, joint and marrow. Is a discerner of the intent and the heart. God does not measure you by what you look like. Because he knows what you are. And if you look like you're perfect, it's because you don't understand true perfection. If it's not, because really the one that was perfect, we esteemed the not spitting of God. Isaiah. <laughs> we didn't like it. We don't have anything to do with him. Folks, seducing spirits. Get real. Keep it real. Be authentic. Don't make the world an ugly place. Just recognize that only God, through Jesus, in the Holy Spirit, can take the ugly and find beauty in the need for the hot iron ashes. We need to kill that. We need to die to that. We don't need to kill it, as with others. We need to allow God's process of purging and removing the dross to take place in our life. We need to repent, be penitent. I don't want to send you to hell. I don't want to put you in a penitentiary. I don't want you to spend your entire life in misery thinking about how you'll never escape and never get out of there. You're on death row. It's going to kill you sooner or later. You'll never know the freedom and the liberty that God gives you in Jesus Christ. Maybe it's the next podcast because they got out of prison. The angel of the Lord set them free. I don't want you to be in hell. That's not what penitentiary in a Quaker sort of way was about. It wasn't for punishment. It was for penitence. That's what this life is about. It's a penitence. Get your attitude aligned, your consciousness, your awareness, your identity, who you are. Give it to Jesus. And then die to it 
in the most merciful way, grace, mercy, that God has so that he might not only resurrect Christ, but resurrect you in Jesus Christ. But it won't be anything about you, human, humanly, your humanism. Because all of that will do, there's a way that seems right, but it leads only to death. Going back to 1 Timothy 4 to finish the podcast. Verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Keep the oil in your lamps, don't fall asleep. While waiting for the bridegroom to come, he's going to come. There is a marriage feast of the Lamb. It is also the white throne judgment. It just depends on what side you're on. Abraham in uh, Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham and the rich man. Jesus foretold of that. There's a great gulf that divides, but you can look over it and see. But that's how in consciousness, get that in you now. Repent. Evangelism at its best. Turn to Jesus before it's too late. And what does this have to do with specialized pastoral care services, Christian counseling ministry? Of course, everything, because that's what it's about. Helping you in the Holy Spirit, allowing the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you. And if I'm part of that, I'm not going to be Jesus in that way of telling you what to do, or even in hypocrisy, pretend like I'm Jesus. But I am going to be Jesus in the Elihu way that I am going to do everything I can to allow the Holy Spirit to remind you the Holy Spirit is alive in you, and He can tell you and will tell you, and we can confirm that in spirit dimensions as to what the best action is. But It's always going to come down to turning the other cheek. It is. It's the only way to get there. If you want us to speak to us, uh, call us. 304-528-9220. Covenantsonline.com. Covenants.llc1 at yahoo.com. You can catch us on Facebook and on YouTube, believe it or not. And you can come back for the next edition of What is Covenants? Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Counseling Ministry with Dr. Michael David Clay. Until we get a chance to meet again, God bless you.